0: Last week we talked about moving closer to Christ. Make, make this the year 2017, the year we move closer. And moving closer to Christ takes faith. It's scary to move closer to him because it always involves moving further away from something else. Often something that we closely identify with or something or someone that's given us comfort or made us feel secure. To move closer to Christ when, when we know it will mean moving further from the people and the things that we've relied on, can only happen if we choose to trust God and embrace his plan for us. Moving closer to Christ, in spite of what people often say, can make us feel insecure. And we hate that, because we've made security one of our chief priorities. We're only going to be able to endure that sense of insecurity and change if we choose to trust God. Moving closer to Christ requires faith. Moving closer to yourself, that's what we're thinking about this morning, requires hope. Now when I talk about moving closer to yourself, I'm assuming certain things that may not be part of your outlook. I'm assuming that you are not now You are not now the self you were in the past, nor will be in the future. You think, I'm just a stable person, I'm always me. But your life has been one of transition ever since you entered the womb. You did not stop becoming when you were born, or when you turned 18, or got married, or entered a career, or retired. We are in transition from in utero to in cosmos, from the womb to the world. And the final transition to glory will be the biggest one of all. In the meantime, between womb and glory, we are constantly changing into new modes of being, of being ourselves. But sometimes we get stuck. And it's at those times that we're stuck that doubts and fears assail us the most. Moving closer to yourself and I mean your true self, your future eternal Christ-like self, takes hope. St. John says, what we shall be has not yet appeared, but when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's the beatific vision. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he's pure. The Christian is not driven by the past, but drawn by the future. He or she is being pulled or wooed or called by God's spirit into a new reality and into a new person. A person who is at peace with self, with others, and with God. Who enjoys life and is constantly grateful for it. A person who sees the enormous value of others who doesn't freak out over conflicts and setbacks, a person who loves God with all of his heart and soul and mind. But just as we saw last week, to move closer to one thing means moving away from something else. And in the case of moving closer to your glorious self, the self that God designed you to be, it means moving further away from the misshapen, self, the greedy, fearful, defensive one, that you wrongly believe the real you to be. Remember what St. John said? Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. That is, everyone who has this hope moves away from the things that contradict the true and future self God is making him. And that can be scary. So, to move closer to Christ requires faith. To move closer to your true self requires hope. And to move closer to others, in and out of the church, requires love. The trinity of virtues. Faith, hope, and love. Now here's something that we need to know. While none of these things is independent of the others, there is a progression. Or maybe better yet, there's a flow. When we move closer to Christ, we'll find ourselves closer to our true selves. When we move closer to our true selves, we will find ourselves closer to other people in and out of the church. What's beautiful about this is that once it gets started, each movement reinforces the next. Moving closer to Christ moves you closer to your future glorified self. Moving closer to your future self moves you closer to others, which moves you closer to Christ, which moves you closer to others, and so on. It's the the developmental version of perpetual motion and it will produce in you all the courage and energy that you need to follow the Spirit's call. Now, you may, I expect you have, on occasion, had glimpses of this truer, fuller self. You've seen, if only out of the corner of your eye, a different kind of you, one that enjoys life, loves people, doesn't worry about the future, one who does the right thing because doing the wrong thing doesn't even occur to him. That's your destiny. And those glimpses that you've seen of it, the longings you have for it, come from the Spirit of God, whom Paul calls by the wonderfully hopeful title, the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Our text today has something to teach us about how we can cooperate with God and moving closer to our truer, fuller self. Now, I say cooperate with God because this is his project. He's the general contractor. He's taken the responsibility. We get to be, by his rich grace and to our great joy, we get to be his co-workers. But don't make any mistake, it's his project. If we try to take it over from him, the best we can do, is erect a temporary false self, probably just a false front, not the glorious self that he intends to make. Our text is Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. It's a passage that deserves contemplation and even memorization. So if you want to take, I could suggest to you five passages, large passages, for you to get into your mind to the point you have memorized. If I were to do that, this would be one of them. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. But what Paul says here grows out of what he's just written in chapter 2. And it leads directly to what he's going to say at the end of this chapter and the beginning of chapter 4. So we're going to take a little time to look at what precedes it and follows it. And, and one week is not going to be enough for that. So we'll continue thinking about this subject and this text next week. So a moment ago, I mentioned that, the, 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 that God, in Christ, is the chief architect and builder of our true selves. He partners with us, but he remains the boss. When we forget that, we fall into the error of thinking that, that we must create the truer, fuller self on our own, according to some design that we come up with. We try to do it our way, or... What's even more likely, we try to do it the way advocated by some persuasive teacher or preacher that we've heard. Some book that we've read. Somebody we've watched on television. That's what happened to the Church of Colossae, not the television part. But uh, other than that, some persuasive speakers were urging them to take charge of the project of becoming their truer, fuller self. And they were telling them how to do it. These speakers shared remarkable and probably unbelievable personal success stories to motivate them, and they suggested the Colossians too could have the same kind of experiences if only they followed their instructions. And they gave them those instructions, a list of rules, do this, don't do that, and they taught a mind over body approach to life. In short, These would-be teachers were telling the Colossians, we can show you how to take control of your own transformation. Just follow our lead, we'll show you how to do it. We'll give you control. Control. Taking charge. Sitting in the driver's seat. That is a temptation that many of us find hard to resist. But it is God, not us, who is the architect builder of the new self. Conforming us to Christ's beautiful image is his project before it's ours. When we take control rather than trusting and submitting, all we do is delay the changes that God wants to bring about. Trusting submission, not control, is the key to success. Now, when you hear that, don't think that I'm saying that we're supposed to be passive. We're not. Any more than a construction worker on the job site is supposed to be passive. We are on the job site. We are the job site. And there's work to do, and the architect builder expects us to do it. But he does mean for us to follow his plans. He will not follow ours. These teachers who came to Colossae, They were so smart. They seemed to have figured it all out. Their ideas had the appearance of wisdom, but they were counterproductive to the goal. What promised to be a shortcut to the true self really would undermine the entire project. Following them, the Colossians would never become their truer, fuller selves. After warning the Colossians against them, this is chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, after warning them, Paul lays out a better way to move closer to the true self. That's in chapter 3. And I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 11. So follow along. We'll put it on the screen as well. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died... This passage begins with a mystery. What does Paul mean when he says, since then, or that could be translated, if, as is the case, you have been raised with Christ. How have you been raised with Christ? When did that happen? Why don't you have any memory of it? What could it mean? Maybe the most common answer to that question is that this is a metaphor. It's a way of speaking about an official change in status that happened when we trusted in Christ. We certainly did experience a change in status when we turned to God and trusted Jesus. But that change of status reflects a real change that happens in us. When God's faithfulness intersected our Faith, his lead, our response, a real spiritual connection to Christ was formed. Our lives are now taking shape around his life. What happened to him, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, happened to us. And you say, that was 2,000 years ago. Doesn't matter. Time is no barrier to spirit. Well then, if I've been raised with Christ... Why have I no awareness of it? There are all kinds of things about you of which you have no awareness. Ask your spouse. There's more to you than you ever realize, much more. Now, Freud told us that, but he had barely scratched the surface. You are more than your body, you are more than your conscious thoughts, and you are more than your subconscious thoughts, Freud. The you you are aware of, the you you think you know so well, is a magnificent mystery, even to you. You are more than an amalgam of your past experiences. Yourself doesn't simply grow out of the past. It reaches back to you from the future. You are not merely the result of what's happened to you on earth. You are the promise of what has and will happen to you in heaven. You, the real you, not some metaphorical you, has been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 2.6. And it's all because of what the loving Father has done in Christ on the cross and in you through the spirit. The real you beckons you forward. The drive you feel, which you attribute alternately to hunger, to boredom, to sexual desire, to ambition, that drive comes from a deeper place than you realize. It is the God-implanted drive to become the truer, fuller you. The drive to be glorified to use the biblical term. You try to satisfy that desire and lots of other things but you can't do it. It comes right back. And thank God it does. God's spirit is calling us further up and further in to become a completed person attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's important that you and I grasp this. There is more to every person than he or she has ever dreamed. There are no ordinary people, as Celious Lewis reminded us. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It's immortals whom we joke with, work with, Marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. God wants us to attain completion. To fill out the person that he's made us to be. Rich in joy, in strength, in peace. A completed person. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 3. Paul says that the You, with no connection to Christ, died. Which, of course, is expressed in baptism. You realize that, right? And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You have a hidden life. And it's not just hidden from others, it's hidden from you. Bonhoeffer says, though they, though Christians, are a visible society, they are always unknown, even to themselves. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And we are in a cosmic game of hide and seek. Someday, God will call to all those seekers who have faith in Jesus, Ali Ali Enfree. That's how we said it at my hometown. I realize everybody says it some different way, but God's gonna say, Ali Ali Enfree. And, and we will find, for the very first time, and to our utter amazement, our own selves. And we will be like Christ. This is more than a game. I refer to it as hide and seek because of Paul's own terminology. We are hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, even from yourself. And We are to set our hearts on, but literally, you know what the word is literally? We are to seek things above. Now here's the thing. This game has special rules. You are not allowed to move closer to yourself. Still less to find yourself by looking for yourself. That's just not how it works. You can't even catch a glimpse of your true self that way. But look to Christ Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith. And in your peripheral spiritual vision, you will catch glimpses of your true self. Now look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The great unveiling. Notice that Christ is your life. Not football, not work, not your spouse or your hobby or your church, but Christ is your life. If football is your life, you will end in sudden death. But if Christ is your life, you will go on forever. That's why I can say to the dying Christian, breathing his last breath, take heart, brother, you have your whole life ahead of you. Christ's life is within your life if you have faith in him. If you don't, you need to do something about that. He's closer to you than you've ever realized. I know some of you have asked, where was he then when this terrible thing happened to me? And the answer is, he was here. He was here in you. He is your life. This month we're thinking about moving closer, closer to Christ, to our true selves, to each other, And and to our neighbors and co-workers outside the church, we've already seen that to move closer to one thing inevitably means moving further away from something else. What is it that you have to move away from in order to move closer to your truer, fuller self? Paradoxically, we must move away from ourselves, the false, empty self. As Jesus repeatedly told us, Again and again, it's the one who loses his life, his soul, in Greek, himself, for his sake, who finds it. We see that movement away from the false self in our text. In verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You put, me back put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That self that is not your true self. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Notice the word therefore. Therefore. In other words, not in order to become something you're not, but to fulfill something you already are in Christ. Because that's so, put to death these things. You see the same motion away from certain things in verse 8. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You must rid yourself, put off, put away these things, because they are the fetters that bind you to the unreal self. Listen, this is not a self-improvement plan. Christians need to hear this. God did not send Christ to die a sacrificial death for the world so that you could be a little better than you are now. But that's so that you could be the new, truer, fuller, Jesus-like self. We are not on the self-improvement program, but the exchange program. We are not making the old false self better, easier to live with. We're giving it up, trading it in on the glorious self Christ died to redeem. Why does Paul say we must put to death or put away things like anger and gossip and filthy language and sexual immorality and greed? Are they really that bad? You know, people are asking that question. I especially hear the question about uh, filthy language constantly. Not constantly, but over the last 10 years, I've heard it again and again. Is it really that bad? What's the difference in a word? Why do we use it? It's not so bad. You know, people are asking those questions. Is pornography that bad? I just wrote an article recently. I I think 67% of people now say pornography's okay. It's okay. Sleeping around's okay. Profanity's okay. These things are just natural. And you know what? They are natural. For the false and incomplete self, the one that you've been trying to escape all your life, If you want to move closer to your truer, fuller, powerful, peaceful, Jesus like self, you must move away from these things. You must, you think they're you, but they're not. You must lay them down or put them down, put them to death. But you can't do that by trying to move towards some ideal self. It'll just be a better form of the old self. You do it by moving toward Jesus. Your only hope of ever being your true self is being Jesus' true person. You aren't you without him. You aren't you. And you never will be you without him. Move closer to Jesus, seek him, and you'll find yourself strong, real, full. But seek yourself, and you'll find only ghosts and phantoms. C.S. Lewis put it this way. On the last page of Mere Christianity, and it would be worth buying Mere Christianity just to read the last page. He said, there must be a real giving up of the self. You must throw it away blindly, so to speak. Christ will indeed give you a real personality, that thing we're talking about. But you mustn't go to him for the sake of that. As long as your own personality is what you're bothering about, you're not going to him at all. The very first step is to try to forget about self altogether. Your real new self, which is Christ's, and also yours, and yours just because it's his, will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Look for yourself, he goes on, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay, but look for Christ. And you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. But how do I look for Christ? Well, coming here every week or to some other assembly of his people is a good start. It's a good start. Some people think that's all there is to it. Just go to church. No thoughtfully reading his words and reading about him in the scriptures and, and contemplating what you've read is a tried and true way. Practicing prayer, learning how to do it better. Many of us are poor at this. Learning how to do it better and setting aside time every day for it has helped millions of people. But the best guidance I can give you about how to look for Christ is to ask him. I dare you to do it. He's the architect builder. He knows what needs to happen next in you. Ask him. And continue to ask, Lord, how shall I go about seeking you? And then pay attention to the ideas that come to your mind as the days go by. And when he gives you an answer, act on it. And you will see things happen. Or that's not quite exactly what I mean. You will see things from a different perspective because he will be making you a different person. All right, let's pray. I'm going to give you a moment. And perhaps you want to say to the Lord, how can I seek you? Ask him right now. And if you want that, he'll answer. And if you're ready, you'll hear. God, if your glory is really man fully alive, then it would be wrong of us to desire anything less. Make us fully alive. The truer, fuller person you have in mind. The person who stands before his judge and maker unafraid but overflowing with gratitude. Lord, make us those people. And as best we can, we'll work with you and for you, for Jesus' sake.